Hello, I'm Meredith Harper. Welcome to Ukulele is a New Black, a podcast where I talk to ukulele players to find out why they play ukulele, what they love about it, and how it's changed their lives. Season 4 is here. Welcome to the first episode for 2021. Today I talked to fellow ukulele podcaster Stuart Washida, who has been making the Ooktown podcast for around 10 years with co-host Doug Brown. As well as talking podcasting, Stuart tells me the story of his first ukulele, which involved Blue House, Brown Roof, Black Dog, and the secret origin of the ukulele involving two plants, one bird, three people, one ship. Enjoy! Ukulele player, introduce yourself. Aloha. My name is Stuart Yoshida. I'm the host of the Uktan podcast, where we talk about all things ukulele. I uh, did I. You know what? Did I say my name is Stuart Yoshida? I hope so. Because you did. That that is your name. It is. I believe it is. It is. And you know, I <clears throat> I just repeat that, so I don't even remember what I say. <laughs> <laughs> it's that muscle memory podcaster thing, isn't it? It just rolls out. It is. It's. I just. I'm glad because a lot of times I have to go on automatic pilot when I start the show. So it's great to be here. And and Meredith, it was really great to have you on our last podcast. So those of you who um, haven't listened to the Ooktown podcast, go ahead and do that. You can hear our interview uh, with Meredith on uh, episode 97 which is uh, Giggly and Fluffy, I believe, is it the name of it? <laughs> it was Giggly and Fluffy, which I said. <laughs> and it was great fun being on your podcast. So, yeah, I will put a link to that episode in the show notes. So anyone who hasn't listened to it, um, please do. And it wasn't just me, of course. It was the wonderful Molly Lewis, who has been on my podcast before, and Brad Bordessa, who I had heard of but not actually met. And he also has a podcast. There was a theme on that episode, wasn't there? Yes. <laughs> there you go. It's all about podcasting. And it's so um, amazing. You and Molly actually were on the same cruise. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Who would have thought? Um, yes. Well, that's that's actually how I, I knew Molly in the first place from um, being on the Joko cruise. And when, my, when I interviewed her for her episode of the podcast, it was actually on 2019's cruise. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, we're both regulars. Or she's a real regular. I mean, she's actually a featured guest. I'm just a, a passenger. It made me feel special, actually, being with Molly and Brad. I, I felt like a real ukulele player of some kind, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't always we, feel. We're all, oh, you know, that's the one th- wonderful thing about the ukulele community. We're all players and having fun. And, yeah, there's some really amazing players. But they, they all seem to have a humility about them. I, I've never you know, had that impression that, oh, you know, you can't touch this. And they all seem very approachable, which is which is great. That's why I love, yeah. maybe that's part of why I love ukulele. Yeah, I think it is part of it. It's not just the instrument. I mean, it's a lovely instrument, but there's something, it's about the community around it, really. Yeah, and I have some theories about that, too. And We, we might come to those theories later. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> But first of all, um, yes, yeah. So I just wanted to to go back because um, today isn't about podcasting. Today is about you, 
Yes. <laughs> we want to have the, the Stuart story today. <laughs> so tell me, when you first started playing music? When I started playing music was quite a while ago. I uh, When I was in uh, middle school, I started playing classical guitar, <clears throat> sharing it with my sister. And this, it's kind of a... It's kind of a. I felt bad when I heard this story. My brother-in-law tells it that we both, my sister and I, both started playing guitar and taking lessons, and we only had one guitar, so we had to share it. And one day, I guess my sister was uh, taking a lesson from our instructor, and he started raving about how how I played and you know, how good I was or something to that effect. And she just said, wait a minute, um, I'm cutting my my fingernails for this when I can grow them long. And she, <laughs> yeah, I relate. And she came home one day and she gave me the guitar. She said, you can have it. It's all yours. And I'm like, what? Oh. What happened? And I never knew what it was until years later. That, and I felt oh, bad. No. I was like, oh no. So you stopped playing music? So I guess, you know, as a as a music instructor, always encourage your students. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's awful. I, I felt really bad, but um, my brother-in-law thought it was kind of a humorous story to tell, and I guess my sister uh, had no ill will after after a while. But well, I guess in, in retrospect, it's funny, but I'm sure it wasn't at the time. <laughs> for her, probably not. And I had again, I had no idea why she suddenly appeared and said, "Here you go. This is all yours." So yeah, I started playing classical guitar and played all kinds of uh, you know classical pieces. But then I wanted to get into pop music. Uh, I got into a little bit of jazz. I learned how to play um, at least part of the girl from Ipanema using chord melody. And I didn't realize at the time it was chord melody. And that kind of is interesting because I, I kind of, I, I dropped chord melody, even though I didn't really know what it was, but I didn't really play chord melody for a long time until many, many years later. And I can talk about that later too. It's one of my mother's favorite things she's trying to learn at the moment. So she'll she'll enjoy hearing about that. Very good. And she, you can tell her that it was because of the ukulele that I came back to chord melody. Okay. Yeah. It's a good thing for people who don't sing. Of course, everyone can sing. Yes. But, yeah, it means you can make sound fantastic without necessarily having to sing. Yes. And have you had John Atkins on the show? He's a, he's a wonderful... No. The ukulele teacher. Yeah, he's a neat guy. Okay. And I, I think it's widely known, and he's famous for not being able to sing that well. And this is no no knock against him, but and because he just does it, you know? And he may not be the greatest singer, but um, I think it helps encourage his students. Grace Vanderwall was one of his, quote, students. Oh, yeah. yeah, she was inspired and watched his videos to learn how to play ukulele. I'll have to add, add him to my list. I've got a whole year's worth of episodes to record. Nice. So. <laughs> he's a busy guy, and he's very... He's, <clears throat> he's English, and I think he has uh, moved to the States, So although he visits... Uh, every once in a while, yeah. So that's kind of how I started music and and started getting into more rock, you know. And in fact, was um, playing in a quote pop rock band, and that was the last time I really played guitar. 
before switching over. Okay, so how did that happen? Did you see one in a shining light one day coming down from the <laughs> Right. <hands? laughs> it was kind of like that, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> was not expecting a yes. After that experience playing in a band, I was thinking about music again. And for some reason, I said, you know, I want to get back to the roots. I, I actually grew up in Hawaii. And from growing up in Hawaii, I thought, you know, what's a quintessential instrument? And it could have been the steel guitar, but I was not into steel guitar. And my first thought, because I really wasn't, didn't know much about the steel guitar anyway. And so ukulele, I thought, oh, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to get an, another instrument, and I want it to be the ukulele, because I want it to reflect the roots of where I came from. <clears throat> and so that started my ukulele journey. Actually, my ukulele journey started off with a blue house, brown roof, black dog. That's how it began with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going, yeah? What are you talking about? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I was visiting Hawaii, visiting my family back in 1999, and I was in search. That at, so that's when I decided, yeah, I'm going to get an ukulele, and I was on a mission. I talked to my sister, and she found out. that She said, well, you know, I'll ask around. Okay, so she came back to me. She says, I know someone. He's the brother of a friend of mine who's a co-worker. <laughs> I'm like, what? Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's four degrees of separation or something. Yep. <laughs> and so I said, okay, well, let's let's do it then. And I called this guy up, and I talked to him. He sounded great. And then, but he was he was from the country, and you know, he gave me all these directions. You know, oh yeah, just go on to the the, the town of Javi, but don't go through it. Just before you go through it, you know, by the gas station, take a right. Uh, there'll be a a big sign that says transfer station, and you go up there. And then when you go up uh, halfway up the mountain, you take a left, uh, just by that big sign, okay, and you go down the road. And then he ended like this. He goes, blue house, brown roof, black dog. You can't miss it. <laughs> Sounds like a song. I know. I, I should have. <laughs> have you written that? Song? <laughs> I haven't, but I, I wrote about this story on my website. So then I drove through the town of Javi, just like you said, or just before going through it. Then you know, followed all the instructions, found the sign. I go. I guess this is it. And we drove down because I was with my sister and her her daughter, my niece, and we drove down to the end of the road. And lo and behold, there it was a blue house with a brown roof. And then just like on cue, a little black dog came up and started <laughs> greeting us. I go, okay, we're, we're hit the right place. <laughs> His dog was just waiting around the corner for you. I guess that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> they must be coming. Here it is. All right. So he, his dog kept his company for a little while. And uh, we he finally returned. I, I guess he, had, he might have forgotten about our appointment or something. But, you know, this is Hawaiian time. Hawaii time, Bombay, they call it. And we went into his workshop, and he has, right next to his home was a, it, I wonder if it's still there, I don't know if he moved or not, a beautiful a workshop where he made all his instruments. He, he makes, or at least he used to make these beautiful handmade guitars and ukuleles. And he had a lot of some of the ones he had made on display, and he took me behind and he just was so meticulous and so um, aware of his craft and 
he showed me, oh, here's where the woods are, and I have all kinds of woods, and, you know, you just, we'll talk about what you want. And probably by about that point, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a guy. He's going to make my ukulele for me. And so we sat down, and he just went through, well, what are you looking for? And I said, well, you know, I live in Colorado, so it's got to be able to take um, pretty wide humidity uh, extremes, you know, it gets pretty dry there. And so I gave him all this. I said, I want to perform. I want to record. I want to yada, yada. And so he goes, okay. And and he just came up with, he goes, spruce top, Kiave sides and back, rosewood neck. And that was it. And, you know, I said, here you go. And I plopped down the deposit. And uh, I don't know, a couple months later, you know, this beautiful instrument arrived. Wow. Usually it takes a year by the, between the time you put in an order and it gets delivered, but I'm, I was able to convince him to get it on a fast track. And I think this one came in maybe four to six months, something like that. I guess when you're hand making it, it's um, yeah, it's a laborious craft, isn't it? Yeah, and he has, he, at the time at least, he had like a huge backlog <laughs> because he was very popular. So I got my David Gomes custom made ukulele, and and so that was the start, and then. You know, you get something that's pretty, I mean, for, for what I, actually, at the time, I find out later, I got a real deal on, on this handmade instrument, which which I will play later on. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I got to do something with this, right? You know, I'm not just going to leave it sit in the case or whatever. So I tried to figure out what I was going to do. And I don't know if I called up a friend or a friend heard that I told him about the ukulele, but he said, hey, why don't you come over and, and jam with us at uh, during a band practice? And he was, at the time, he was in a country western swing band. So the country western swing band, I don't know if they have country western swing over in in Australia or not, but it consisted of a steel guitar, pedal steel, upright bass, and electric guitar. And the quintessential Hawaiian band in the early days when they started playing, you know, this was kind of um, after uh, after the U.S. had taken over and um, before everything became really electric. But the quintessential Hawaiian band basically is like a quartet where you have steel guitar lots of times, ukulele, upright bass, and um, regular uh, acoustic guitar. So this was... You know, so you could see where this was going. Not that different. Not that different. Yeah. So he goes, well, why don't you come and jam with us? And I think he had this in mind. So I came over and I jammed a while and felt really just, I was, it was, I was sweating and going, oh my gosh, all the chords. If you've played guitar and you play ukulele, the chords are very similar, but they're up a fifth. And I had never played ukulele before, well. I played ukulele way, way, way back in like fourth grade, third or fourth grade, yeah. right? That's the that's part of the program, but not since then. And so all the chords were different. So I was playing the wrong chords probably 80% or 90% <laughs> of the time. And every once in a while, I would get a chord right. And then at the finally, like, hey, this is great. Why don't, Stuart, why don't you come and play with us? We're going to be at this Avogadro's number, which is a popular music venue in Fort Collins, on such and such a night, and said, "Um, uh, okay." So, <laughs> so I <clears throat> foolishly agreed. I guess, and that that's that's good. You should say yes, right? What's that? 
Well, it pushes you, doesn't it? It makes yeah. you. It, it makes you learn and makes you makes you practice. Well, definitely. So, in this four to six months it took for your ukulele to arrive, so you didn't get like another interim. You didn't just get yourself a mahalo to practice on or something. You actually waited. Oh the yeah, whole time. I don't. I don't know why I wasn't. I, I was just. I, I guess because I figured this is going to blow away anything I'm going to get. I'll just wait for it. I was not in a rush, and at the time there was probably ukuleles, but I can imagine I didn't know about the whole ukulele community at that time. And so I'm kind of glad I didn't get another ukulele because uh, I I didn't know about where to go. And at that time, I, Fort Collins was not where I live, was not a big ukulele town. So I don't think they, they probably had those cheap mahalo ukuleles. Nothing wrong with those <laughs> for your kids. No, well, it's a good beginner's instrument. Yeah. See, I, cause I'm such an impatient person. I would have oh, got would one you? of those. Until the good one arrived, but I'm impressed that you waited. <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know why I didn't, but I figured, uh, you know, I'm never going to find anything. Uh, and I'm glad I didn't because the, the mahalo, at least the plastic mahalos, oh, it's it's a good, you know, kid's instrument. But you got to pay at least, you know, $40, I think, for a decent ukulele. Otherwise, I always tell my students, it's like, yeah, you know, get get pay at least 40 to 50 maybe 60 dollars for a decent ukulele because otherwise it'll be such a painful experience you won't be motivated to do that well actually my first ukulele um was actually a second hand mahalo really okay <laughs> which is as bad as it gets <laughs> and it wasn't even good but but it was i call it my proof of concept one i, I did i saw it at the second hand shop and thought hmm because I wanted something yeah. to play, and, and anyone who listens to my theme song, it is a true song. It's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so and I, I got it home, and, and I, I knew it was not a good instrument, but it was enough for me to know that uh, yes, I can do this. Yeah, and I had tried the guitar. I had a like an old guitar which w- w- used to be my yeah. brother's, and I don't know. I just it was you know too many strings. Yeah, um, I think that's a common experience. So, yeah. So I had that one for a few months and I said, no, no, I've got to go and get a real well, one. <laughs> good on you. You could see, you, you had the big picture in mind. That's great. You know, proof of concept. Just make sure that this this is something, at least you could calibrate though, that this is probably not the top end instrument, so it's going to be okay. I think for people just starting out, especially when they're younger and if it's if there's too big a, an obstacle, you know, that's what I worry about. So that's why I always tell them, yeah, get, get something at least, you know, decent. And there's so many, even Mahalo's probably up their game, I think. Yeah, I think they probably have a, a, a better range now, don't they? I mean, like Carla have, have done the right thing because they've got all the yeah. ranges, from the cheap ones to the good ones to the really good ones. That's the yeah. way to do it. So that was really a, a great way for them to do it. And they they're, have gone gangbusters. So good on them. Yeah. So the band, uh, as I was saying, to continue the journey <laughs> of of my musical journey with the ukulele, yeah. So I I was invited to this gig, and I I went up and I don't know two thirds of the way through the gig, maybe at the end, they said, "Hey, I want to bring up our friend Stuart. He's got a ukulele. He's going to jam with us." And so I hid in the back, and again, it was so painful, you know, playing. Um, maybe I got. Uh, 30% of the chords right that time. <laughs> <laughs> that's an improvement. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. It, it probably sounded like jazz to people. Well, that's that's kind of the chord. 
You see, if you get them all wrong, they think it's, it's deliberate. They well, it's yeah, choice. and you play it a fifth up, and so you know you get really jazz chords when you play the wrong chords. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then after that uh, stress-inducing uh, gig with them, I don't know why, but he goes, "Hey, that was a lot of fun." He goes, "Hey, Stuart, how about we get together and we form a Hawaiian band?" And I said, "Okay." And he goes, "Yeah." And then he came up with the name Chris Kennison did, and he says, "Let's call it Bookum Dano." <laughs> yeah, which is if for those of you who watch Hawaii Five O, that old, the original one, not not the new one. I'm old enough oh. to remember. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, at the end of a show, you know, he would say to Dano, "Bookum Dano, Murder One." So the, we formed this Hawaiian swing band, and and that is literally how I learned to play ukulele. <laughs> Uh, on stage. Well, <laughs> a lot of practice. Okay, so that first song on stage, it was, t- yeah, that was that was a tough experience. Then we would get together. Then, you know, that p- motivated me to no end to learn the chords and practice and learn how to strum correctly. You know, that just made it, because then it's like we're going to practice and practice and practice, and then we got a gig, and so there you go, you know. It's, it's a great way to learn ukulele. Trial by fire. <laughs> <laughs> and I gather it's worked. Yeah. Um, now, you were going to play me something. I would like you to demonstrate that amazing technique. <laughs> amazing <here>. technique. <laughs> uh, what, 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 what do you have there in your hand? This is the David Gomes ukulele. It is my trusty one. It has, so it's, it's, still, it's still going strong. Well, yeah. It's got a lot of road wear on it. I brought it to back to Hawaii to show David Gomes because I was trying to see if I should get this refinished by by him and he just kind of looked at it go oh wow because there's all kinds of worn off places and and dings and everything like that I say yeah I got a lot of miles on it but I did not have him you know I did not um I don't know why but I, I figured now nah, I'll just keep it with me but at some point I might get it refinished well, I think it, it's it's nice that it has a story when I mean, you can see that it's been loved and used. That's I what like I that. said. Is like, come on, Dave, you know. Yeah. As long as it's not affecting the sound. No, not um, at all. Not a problem. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. So this song, I'm going to play a little bit of it, and hopefully I can remember the words. But Just hum if you can. I will. And this is from A Charlie Brown Christmas, which a lot of people know the song, and I wanted to make an arrangement of it. And I finally downloaded the chords, and of course they're all for, for guitar, and then I made an arrangement that I just think is turned out lovely here. So this is this is the song. It's called Christmas Time is Here. Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Fun for all that children call. Their favorite time of year Snowflakes in the air Carols everywhere And this is where I forget the, the rest of the song. But the, the what I love about this, which I have, the by the way, for my patrons and anyone who wants to become a patron, I have the full arrangement of this with all the right chords and all the all the words. Um, as part of it for the for the patrons, but what I loved about that was just because of the way the ukulele. I have a low G, by the way, for all those. 
And just the way it, it uh, sounds, the openness of these, some of these chords, like this is an F major seven. And then I forget what this is. This is some type of diminished chord, I think. <laughs> it didn't, I played a lot of, I looked at the chord and then I would um, just fool around with that chord until it sounded like it belonged there. And so uh, I don't really know all the names of the chords. Like, uh, doesn't matter. They sound good. Yeah, I think this is a B minor seven flat five. But you know, but that's a good thing for for people to know is that you know what? Um, once you get more experience with the ukulele, you take these chords that they give you that might be basic, and you start fooling around with it. Uh, here's a tip: buy one of those ukulele chord books and start looking at all the ukulele chord shapes up and down the neck, and then start fooling around with them. Um, and try and figure out, you know, what's the best voicing for a chord that fits with the song. And these are not the stock chords they gave me in the music. I just kind of fooled around with them until they f- sounded good. Mm. Yeah, it's got a lovely, lovely soft sound to it. It's really nice. Well, and yeah, and that's part of the the night, the part of the song, right? You, if you know that song from a Charlie Brown Christmas, it's just. A wonderful song, you know. Everyone thinks of it whenever they, um, whenever Christmas time. My friends go, "Yeah, that's that's my favorite song from Christmas. It's the first <laughs> one we put on." So I'm so glad I finally made an arrangement. Just I I uh, I need to pull up the music. Maybe later on I'll uh, I'll find it and then we'll pull up the uh, find the whole arrangement. Yeah, that's great. So tell me, when did you have the insane idea of starting a podcast? Uh, it was over 10 years ago, uh, after quite a while after going on my ukulele journey, and I started getting more and more involved in the ukulele community. And I, I guess two things came together. I was listening to a show at the time, which still is on on the, as a podcast, very popular, called This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte and I'm a tech geek and he's just he's one of the OGs he's like one of the original podcasters when it when it first started he was one of the first ones to start podcasting and and his show is a great show because it has a panel of guests and so I I thought about different formats thinking of you know doing one-on-one interviews like this and and there's a lot to be said about doing that or you know, having a review of different types of ukulele music, and I, I kind of was nervous because this is still early in the days of the internet, and and I love that um, that in Australia they have this universal license thing that you use. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, being able to play the music makes such yeah, a difference. Yeah, yeah. And so in the early days, you know, they would uh, these a. ASCAP and BMI and record companies, they'd go after you and give you takedown notices. And I said, oh, forget it. I don't need that. So then I thought, oh, well, Leo Laporte's format, I love his format. And I basically stole the whole format. And I said, well, um, and what can I do with this? Or I'm not sure if I thought of it independently or at the same time. But, you know, when I was thinking, maybe I was thinking about what can I do with the ukulele and podcasting. And then it just came together and the Uktown podcast uh, came out, and uh, Doug was my guinea pig. I I said, you know, I want to do a test recording. So I joke about this on the show, but we did a test podcast that we never published. It was just 
can it be done? And then like a year or two later, that's when I published and did my first podcast. So that is the story of the Ooktown podcast. And so you always have the, the panel on the podcast for listeners who haven't heard your podcast. Maybe tell us a bit about it. Yeah. So just like this, like I said, I stole it directly from This Week in Tech, where they have different pundits uh, come on the show and and a list of topics. And then they would just talk about the topics. And that's, I thought, well, I can do that. Although it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> it never is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And so, you know, I started, uh, I think in the f the first ones you'll hear, I, I st not that I'm smooth, but I stumbled around a lot more. And then I finally got a rhythm of how to do this and what to do and started becoming more prepared and prepared until, of course, I got Molly Lewis on the show and she just blew me away. She was so more, much more prepared. She she is just <laughs> an encyclopedic. Is that a word? I, I think it is. Yeah, if not, it should yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah, she is just whip smart funny and talented and i was like i had her on my show and i was like oh my gosh molly you can do why don't you do my show <laughs> <laughs> so i was glad to have her back again and that show she we did with uh danielle ate the sandwich danielle anderson have you had danielle on your show yet no i well, haven't she's another good one I have such a long list of people I need to ask. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> But uh, the good thing is I don't think I'll ever run out of people to talk to because there, there's so many. It's amazing. Oh, you've been going for 10 years, so you must have found so many people. Yeah, and it, get, it got more and more. It seems like it accelerated at some point. You know, all these people, all these, and talented. And it just, you know, even from 10 years ago till now, the... The level of talent, we talk about a lot about this on my podcast. Gerald Ross makes the same observations like, yeah, you know, whatever it is, YouTube, the internet, just the accessibility, the ground level ability of the ukulele pair has just been ratcheting up and up and up. And I just, you know, you hear all these young players and you go, wow, I'm never going to be like that. And they're just starting out. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's a little um, humbling. Yeah. Yeah, it is very humbling. And uh, and so I'm I'm grateful when, you know, I have, <clears throat> and that they're humble too. And I have, you know, Aldrin Guerrero. He's another good good one. Have you had him on no. the show? Oh, you're going to have to send me a list. <laughs> Actually, I should just go down your, all your episodes and take notes. <laughs> yeah, you should. There, there's, he is amazing. I mean, Uh, you know, I, I think of virtuosity in terms of Jake Shimabukuro. Maybe he's the gold standard, but Aldrin comes really close. He's okay. just, you know. Yeah, I'd be too scared to ask Jake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can, but um, I don't know. He's got a busy schedule. I had to do a gorilla podcast with him oh. where he was at the Denver Ukulele Festival and I kind of cornered him after after his workshop and had a... I was so nervous. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have been because he's such a nice guy. Well, as we said before, all, all ukulele players are nice. <laughs> I know, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I was going to circle back to um, chord melody. That's what we were talking yeah. about earlier. Yeah, that was something that I hadn't thought of for a while. And what happened was that I was starting to teach a lot more ukulele kind of in the middle years maybe five five or six years ago and then one of my students goes yeah you know i'd like to really learn this chord melody and i you know i 
I'd heard some really beautiful chord melodies on ukulele. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So I immediately went off and started to figure out how to play chord melody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, I can do it. Yeah. You're very good at yeah, saying yes to that. things and then working out how to do it later, which I think is great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Molly Lewis uh, booked a musical that she wrote, but it hadn't been finished. Um, it had barely been started, but she booked the date when it was going to start <laughs> be done. And so she goes, yeah, that was motivation. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Good on you. That would motivate you. So, yeah. So, I then I started figuring it out and, you know, oh, here's the principles and probably went on the internet and looked at arrangements. And so, then I started teaching it to her. And my student, um, which she just picked it up and lapped it up. And a couple years later, you know, after I hadn't seen her in a while, she... um, sent me an arrangement she did of Linus and Lucy, also from the Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm like, wow. (laughs) Man, she is, she just took off and her chord melody arrangements were amazing. I was so impressed. And that's the best thing that can happen when you're a teacher is that your student exceeds you, right? Yeah. I I just showed her a few things, you know, here, here's the base. I just showed her the basic concept. You know, you're going to have to go up the neck and, um, you want the highest note to always be the the melody in general. You know, you don't have to, but that's generally the best way. And so that, you know, you have to figure out new chord shapes. And that's the, one of the great things about chord melody. It, it'll force you to go um, learn the neck up and down and do these uh, movable bar chords and things like that. So that is my chord melody story. It's a good one. <laughs> Speaking of ukulele journeys, though, so so you've pretty much come through through most of my ukulele journey here. I do one that I I want to talk about a little bit, if it's okay. Absolutely about about the ukulele journey of the the journey of the ukulele itself, because I I I feel strongly about that. I want people to know where the ukulele came from, you know, and I I like to quote. Lynn Manuel Miranda. By the way, is is Hamilton a thing in Australia? Yes, in fact, it's they actually got a production starting in Sydney next month, I think, because they can actually oh. do it here. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. and I would love to go, but the thing is, I'm not going to spend that amount of money on a ticket and then find that because of COVID, I can't go to Sydney. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I when I was in New York last, can you believe I was in New New York last February? It's hard to imagine, oh. and I would have loved to go, but I mean, it was just just so expensive. Yeah. The quote from Hamilton is, immigrants, we get the job done. Because Alexander Hamilton was an immigrant and he did great things coming to America. Well, the ukulele, that's what it's all about. And and I do this workshop on it that um, I've been developing over the years to be more and more uh, trying to be inclusive of, of the real, the bigger picture of the ukulele and I talk about the seven things that changed the course of history in Hawaii that led to the birth of the ukulele. It's, this is the secret origin of the ukulele. It's about immigrants. And it's two plants, one bird, three people, one ship. That's how the ukulele came to be. And the two plants are the ohialehua um, and the plant called coal, which is also known as sugarcane. I didn't realize this, but sugarcane was brought over to Hawaii by their uh, Hawaiian immigrants, so to speak, the Hawaiian travelers, seafarers, 
Yeah. And the one bird is called a, that helped out was called the Kalea bird. And, and the origin of the ukulele starts 65 million years ago. Oh, wow. <laughs> there was a rift in the Pacific Ocean, and a fountain of lava started there. And over probably thousands and thousands of years, the Hawaiian Islands were formed. And about 65 million years ago, that's when the islands were basically um, more or less how they are today, right? And I never thought about this, but did you think about, okay, so have you been to Hawaii or any, any volcanic? Yes. Oh, you have. Okay, have you been to the Big Island? Uh, no. <gasps> Got to go no. there. There's an... Yeah, well, that's on my list. <laughs> All right. Well, there's an active volcano there, right? Uh, Kilauea. If you ever go there, it looks like you're walking on the moon. Oh. Yeah. So didn't you ever think, I never thought about this, but I watched the special and I go, oh my gosh, you're right. It is like walking on the moon. How could anything live on that volcanic rock, right? There's no organic matter there and there's no way for organic matter to be made because even when the lava breaks down, it breaks down into these simpler elements or, or compounds that are not organic not matter. conducive to life. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So enter the Ohia Lehua plant, which is, guess what? It's an immigrant. Ah, of course. It, it, however it came, a bird or drifted on a coconut husk or whatever, but the Ohia Lehua plant, along with a couple other plants like it, like the orchid, have the ability to grow and live without soil. Ah, right. Yeah. So that was the only plant, uh, the type of plant, it, um, and we'll see, and it was the, probably the major plant that really lived on the islands for thousands of years. And then guess what? It lived, it died, and it kept leaving layer upon layer upon layer of organic matter. Yep. So it made soil. It made soil. And once that soil was there, more immigrant plants could come and thrive and lay down more <laughs> organic matter. And that's just amazing. So without the Ohia Lehua plant, so go to the big island and you look for this kind of rugged, scraggly tree with these bright uh, red flowers that kind of look like strings. And that's the Ohia Lehua plant. Um, and so... You know, again, immigrants, so the Kolea bird, do you, do you guys, do they talk about, I mean, this is actually has, has to do with your neck of the woods too, by the way. Do, do you know about the Hawaiians in the South Pacific? I vaguely do. <laughs> well, they came from your neck of the woods in the South Pacific, from the Marquesas. Yep. You ever thought about how the heck did they ever get to the island because it i have kind of wondered but i've never really known <laughs> i presume on a boat yeah but it's uh, the hawaiian islands where it formed at the time and probably still is the most remote inhabited place on earth in other words if you go in any direction the distance before you reach any type of civilization is the farthest of any other inhabited place on the earth Wow. So certainly at that time, it was the most uh, remote, habitable place on Earth. <laughs> well, the the people of the South Pacific were amazing seafarers. 
And they were legendary in their ability to, without modern instruments, navigate and return home. And who knows how there's, I watched a special on, on how they did it. And, you know, it's like a sacred art that was passed down. Oh, I just assume they got there by mistake. I thought so too. Apparently not. So the, these crazy dudes and women would go in this ship, this double hull canoe, and go out and, and um, you know, navigate around. Well, they followed a flock of birds because they figured, well, it's got to be going somewhere, right? They don't Makes sense. <laughs> it was a Kalea bird because the Kalea, Kalea bird can fly for thousands and thousands of miles. It's called, also, it's called the golden plover, I think. And they would follow the bird as far as it could follow it until the flock outflew the ship because you know they couldn't always keep up with the birds and then they would turn around and navigate back home okay oh and they kept doing that season after season after season following this flock so the next season they would they would go to the same spot I mean, how do they do that they went to the same <laughs> spot where they lost the flock the flock would start flying over them and they would follow it again and finally oh, after I don't know how many seasons, they, they came and lo and behold, there was a Hawaiian Islands perfectly formed, you know, all of these immigrant plants thriving and birds and plants and, you know, whatever there. And and above the the islands was this star that's called Hokulea. In fact, that was the, the Hokulea um, is a double hull canoe that this society built to prove that the Hawaiians could have done that. So what they did was, you know, people were thinking, well, that sounds like a weird theory. There's no way you could f- navigate with the stars, you know. Um, but no, they they proved it. They built this double-hull canoe and they sailed it from Hawaii down to Tahiti. I mean, that's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so they, that that was how the Hawaiians got there. And by the way, the, the um, double-hull canoe was called Hokulea, Star of Gladness. And... Uh, so that's how, in 500 BC, the Hawaiians, or the, those to be, those immigrants that would become known as Hawaiians, found the Hawaiian Islands. In um, Samoa, the, the, there's lots of similarities in terms of the history and the um, legends, the myths. Uh, and in, in fact, uh, language too. So in mm. Samoan, have you... Have you been to some? I spent quite quite a bit of time in Samoa. You did. So I how did they say? There once. Yeah. Really? Awesome. Yeah, I loved Samoa. It was beautiful. How do they say hello in Samoan? Oh, it's so long since I've been there. <laughs> it was ten years ago. <laughs> I can't remember. It's if you've been to Hawaii, they say talofa. Of course, yes. Yeah. Yes. What does that sound like? Aloha. Aloha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, you're right. Yeah. It does too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they brought. Uh, pigs, you know, plants, things like that with them to cultivate and grow and, you know, with this new... So they probably went there a couple, you know, there and back a couple times. <laughs> and at some point they, they stopped and they just populated the islands and then everyone else in the South Pacific forgot about them. Isn't that amazing? It is. In the middle of, of nowhere. And yeah. that's the only reason why the ukulele was even had a place to land 
is because of these crazy people just going, yeah, let's follow that bird. Let's see where it goes. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they had no, uh, isn't that weird? They didn't worry about falling off the edge of the earth and all that. They just went and. I uh, see. So they weren't flat earthers. They knew. they knew yeah so um and so the hawaiian islands you know with these south pacific immigrants lived um as they did for you know hundreds and hundreds of years until um do you know who what happened next after um the so the three people one of them his name is Captain Cook. Oh, yes. Heard of him. Yeah. The English <laughs> explorer. Yeah. So for good or bad, he he uh, rediscovered the island. So he was sailing around and he found them and he was, you know, charting out the whole Pacific. Yeah. He went to, didn't he go to Australia yeah, too? Yeah. He, he said he discovered Australia. The other oh, people yeah. had been there before. Right, yeah, the, but in the history books right. officially, yeah. Exactly. Right. And he discovered Hawaii when they are... Thousands and thousands of people already living there. Yeah, so <clears throat> that was basically how the whole Western world found them. And, you know, they thought it was a paradise, I guess. So just they started coming there. Whaling happened. And and uh, remember I talked about one of the plants they brought over, coal, which is also known as sugarcane? Yep. Yeah, so that, that was uh, a huge deal. Sugar uh, plantations were just money makers, right? And guess what they brought? Because the Hawaiian, well, for for several reasons, many of them tragic. Um, One of them is disease. And the other one was that the Hawaiians, the native Hawaiians had no interest in cultivating these plantations. So they brought over immigrants. (laughs) They brought over, uh, in fact, my family from came from Japan my ancestors came from Japan as part of one of the waves of immigrants but one of the waves of immigrants was from Portugal and if you look on a map right Portugal Europe right you have to go around uh the horn of africa i believe yeah cuz uh north america well no what's the south american is it the anyway i am not good at geography <laughs> They, which way did they came? I'm pretty sure they came around the Horn of Africa. Anyway, there was no direct route, right, to Hawaii. There was no Panama Canal. So they had to take a several thousand mile journey just to reach Hawaii. And and legend has it that when they came to finally Hawaii, they were, the Portuguese immigrants were really happy. <laughs> well, you, you would be, yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a long time yeah. at sea. It's a long time, and that was on August. They even know when it came, August twenty third, eighteen seventy nine, is that you, the SS Ravenscrag, and the legend has it that the Portuguese were so happy to be in Honolulu Harbor that they started dancing and singing and playing their folk instruments. One of which was a little four string instrument that looks a lot like an ukulele. That was the machete. Yes, exactly. Ah, I knew something. Finally, I knew something. <laughs> And so that, but but it wasn't, but it was because of all these other immigrants and the lure of the sugar cane that the ukulele even arrived on the shores of Hawaii. And once it arrived there, it was just welcomed. 
and the Hawaiians loved it. You know, that's one thing about the Hawaiians. They just love different types of culture, uh, maybe to their detriment. They were so welcoming in some ways. Not that they were totally peaceful. I mean, you know, you you may have heard stories about King Gamehameha and all the wars that they used to have, and that he finally had a you know bloody battle on the, the Pali, uh, cliffs of the Pali, to defeat the enemies, you know. And it was a bloody battle. And But it, in addition to that, though, they were just, they would welcome all kinds of foreigners and strangers, and they loved the ukulele, and they made it their own. There's there's one king, his name is King David Kalakawa, and he loved the ukulele so much he made it a, a royal instrument in his palace. Huh. And he would have people play, and he some of the Westerners that were really good, he would have them in the court, and they would play the ukulele. And so it became a very revered instrument. Really, he was the reason why it stayed so popular, because he wanted it so, he loved it so much in his court. Queen Liliokalani, who was the last monarch of Hawaii, was uh, was a great instrument, um, great musician and composer, and, and that's the reason why. Again, immigrants and and the welcoming of immigrants that the Hawaiians were uh, to their detriment, um, because later on it was the lure of sugarcane that prompted the takeover of the Hawaiian islands because the Westerners, which by the way, they were outnumbered. The the Westerners were outnumbered from mostly from everyone else. And they didn't like the way that the Hawaiian kingdom was running the business. So they decided that, you know, we needed for our, mainly I believe for their economic interests to take over the islands. So they illegally to this day, you know, the Hawaiians are trying to get reparations and, they they were taken over. Yeah. So um, 1893, I believe it was, was when um, they surrounded the palace and Queen Liliokalani was um, forced to, uh, you know, give over the kingdom to them. So that was kind of a sad part. But the good part is that, uh, you know, this was this was the whole the history, the mana, this is what's encompassed in the ukulele, right? All this amazing story of journey of um, immigrants and discovery and more immigrants and more discovery until finally here we are uh, The in uh, after the kingdom was taken over they, the, the government of Hawaii started to promote themselves and in 1915, it was the Pan Pacific. Have you heard of that one? Where they sent over a bunch of um, instruments and musicians and hula dancers and all kinds of things to the Pan Pacific. Huh. And it was the hit of the, they would be playing, you know, day and night and people loved it and they loved the ukulele and that's how it landed in America and then spread. And then I have no idea how it it went from... <laughs> How did it get to Australia, by the way? I have no idea. Oh, look, we have planes now. I know, but back... <laughs> <laughs> but it's everywhere. I don't think there's a country in the world now that doesn't have it. It just seems to be... I mean, some more than others, but it's absolutely everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Which... And it's it's a it's a great thing. Yeah, I don't know how long it's been big here, um, but certainly, you know, there's a lot of people I've interviewed who are Australians who've been playing it for you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And it, it, it's so amazing that... It, it, it has such 
widespread acceptance and um, it's such a beloved instrument. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that the reason I tell this story is uh, I want, first of all, I want people to understand the, the history of Hawaii and the history of the ukulele and that the ukulele is an immigrant at heart, just like really all of us are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that is my journey too. So, you know. Oh, yeah. That is fantastic. Well, I think this is the perfect time for me to ask you how ukulele has changed your life. Well, I think that the ukulele has led me to a community and, it, and it's kind of through the podcasting and and once I started uh, going to these ukulele festivals and things like that just uh, uh, being able to meet all these people talk to them people like you people like Molly Lewis people like um, you know Danielle and Brad Bodessa and it's just a great community and it's so supportive and that to me is um, given me more of an appreciation for, for whatever reason of the ukulele and then the culture of Hawaii and where I came from. So that was a, a real, it's a huge gift. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, we're out of time, Stuart, but it's been, it's been great. Really enjoyed chatting. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for doing this. I've, I've always wanted someone to do a show like this because I decided not to, so I thought, I hope someone else does this. You're just... Yeah, someone had to do it, yeah. So I'm so <laughs> glad great. you're doing it. We have it. complimentary shows. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. So uh, Awesome. Awesome, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on here, and um, I I hope you get a lot more of these people on here, and um, I, I'm going to listen to the podcasts when you have these other people on, too, so that... I... Wonderful. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Stuart. Yeah, See you're ya. welcome. Take care. We ran out of time for Stuart to have another go at playing Christmas Time Is Here, so he kindly allowed me to include his Patreon version at the end of the episode. Hang around until after the credits to hear it. Ukulele is a new black is produced by me, Meredith Harper. I wrote the theme tune and I performed it with Janine Chandler, Jim Croft, Jasmine Fellows, Paul Marsh, Sandra Shaw and Chris Williams. Seb Carrero does the graphic design. For more information about Stuart and the Ooktown podcast, go to ooktown.com or you can find the podcast in your favourite podcast app. If you want more information about any of the things mentioned in today's episode, there are links in the show notes. You can also go to the Ukulele is a New Black YouTube channel for a playlist with songs relating to today's episode. Give it a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell your friends. Episodes are released every second Monday, and you can subscribe pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Because it's
it's the new black. Christmas time is here. Happiness and cheer. Fun for all that children call their favorite time of year. Snowflakes in the air. Carols everywhere. Olden times and ancient rhymes of love and dreams to share. Sleigh bells in the air. Beauty everywhere. You tied by the fireside and joyful memories there. Christmas time is here. We'll be drawing near. Oh, that we could always see such spirit through the year. Oh, that we could always see such spirit through the year.